Welcome to Geek Catch-Up. I'm Kyle Eckert alongside Chris Heck. We're two lifelong friends with a passion for all things geek. Whether it's gaming, movies, television, wrestling, comics, whatever. If it's nerdy, there's a good chance we're into it. You are listening to our Season 1 finale, Chapter 16. Today, it's all about Polybius. Southeast Portland Junior High School. Summer is on the horizon, and the kids are anxious to be done with the school year. Seventh grader Ryan grabs the last of her books and slams her locker door shut. She spins around on the smooth tile floor and heads to the front door. The buzz can be felt in the air as summer break is almost here. Just one more week to go, and then freedom. Ryan heads out of the school's front entrance down the wide brick staircase to the bike rack. She spots Steve and Max over by the flock of canary yellow buses waiting for the flood of students pouring out behind her. Ryan hastily grabs her purple Schwinn and heads towards them. It appears they're fighting about something. There's no way that happened. David is always blowing smoke up everyone's ass. I don't know. He seemed really off about it. Like he was scared or had seen a ghost. I've never seen him so serious about something. Hey guys, what's going on? You'd better not be arguing about the movie tonight. We've already decided on Raiders of the Lost Ark. No. David told us a ridiculous story about this new game at Extra Life, and Steve wants to check it out. I'm telling you, he was acting like a total freak. That's because David is a freak, and he can't be trusted. How could you fall for his shit? Whatever. It sounded kind of cool to me, and he said he couldn't stop playing it all night. Sounded cool? What part of moving shapes sounded cool to you? You couldn't even describe the story. Screw the story. Not everything has to be Space Invaders, Max. Sometimes games are just fun to play. Look at Pong. (laughs) Pong. You're comparing some shape game to Pong? No, I just mean games can be fun without some crazy alien backstory. (laughs) Pong. Shut up. You know what? Maybe I will go. (laughs) You. Go into the arcade alone? I'll believe that when I see it. I didn't say I was going alone. Ryan will go with me. Max, you need to cool it. And I wish I could, Steve, but not with Mr. Arnold's quiz tomorrow. I've got to study before the movie. My parents will kill me if my grade drops. Oh, the quiz! Damn it, Arnold! Only he would give a quiz on the last day of grades. Right? Screw Arnold. You kids getting on this bus or not? Yeah, yeah, we're coming. Steve steps off the school bus and busts through the side door of his home where his mom, as expected, is in the kitchen preparing tonight's version of meatloaf and potatoes. Welcome home, sweetie. How was school today? Are you ready to be done with seventh grade? Fine, mom. Ask me next week once I'm done with Arnold. Hey, remember I'm meeting Ryan and Max at the movies tonight? I'm going to change shirts and head to Extra Life before it starts. Well, what about your dinner? That's what popcorn and candy are for. As Steve gets into his room, he realizes that he hasn't been able to stop thinking about David's story. About the new game. Did he really even want to ride ten streets over to Extra Life? Why had he even said that to his mom like he'd already decided? Digging through a pile of wrinkled t-shirts, he turns and checks the time on the Superman clock he got for his last birthday. It must be five o'clock the way the heat vision eyes are lighting up bright red. Two hours until the movie. Haha, still plenty early to make it to the arcade before Raiders. Maybe I will go. Yeah, I'm not scared of some silly game. I'll prove that David is actually full of it, like always. At this point, his curiosity is peaking. Steve is so focused on the mysterious game that he almost walks out of his room shirtless before abruptly circling back and spotting the perfect one for the occasion. Hey 
there you are! My lucky Space Star shirt. Nothing can go wrong when I wear this one. Steve parks his bike in the rack outside and walks into the dimly lit arcade. Extra Life might be a dive, but it's got the best games out of the three arcades across Portland. It's significantly smaller than the others, with only two rooms. The dated burgundy paint on the walls is starting to crack. Your sneakers stick to the linoleum floor just a hair too long with each step. And the smell. Burnt butter and popcorn. As if weeks had gone by since someone cleaned out the machine. In all likelihood, it probably had been. But Steve is here for one reason. To find the game that David wouldn't shut up about. What's that game called again? Polly something? Steve briskly walks the perimeter of the first room, keeping his head on a swivel, passing the pinball machines along the outside wall and the air hockey table in the middle. The trail of the shining lights gleaming and the speakers are thumping in his ears. After a full lap, Steve finds his way to the back room with the cabinet games. In this tighter space, these games are crammed side by side with barely enough room for two people to play on the same machines. Steve sees small groups huddled around all the usuals. Defenders, Centipede, Missile Command. He even notices Ryan's favorite, Space Invaders, is out of order. It's probably best she didn't come. I'd never hear the end of it. Surprisingly, Pac-Man only had one person waiting to play as he continued his desperate search for the mystery game. Almost ready to give up, he begins to head back to his bike when he hears an unfamiliar sound through the noisy disco of the other machines. He looks into the farthest corner. There it is, Polybius. Steve spots it wedged between Asteroid and Lunar Lander. It's exactly as David had described it. An unassuming all-black cabinet with a few turquoise stripes on the side and that goofy name on top. An immediate rush of adrenaline flips his stomachs as he approaches. The controls seem simple. A single control stick and two buttons, one on either side. But the screen... That's what has Steve confused. There's nothing on it. Where's the demo play? Is this machine even on? He leans in close to check for the plug on the back of the dark and silent cabinet. Closing one eye, he leans down to the floor to get a better look at it, listening for sounds of any kind. Steve sees that it's plugged in, but there's still nothing coming from the machine. No sounds at all. Feelings of frustration immediately overwhelm him as he pushes himself up off the floor. I came all the way here, skip studying, skip dinner, just for this dumb machine to not even work. When I see David tomorrow... He squares himself with a pitch black screen, but only sees his own reflection, his dark brown hair curling out in every direction. A small glitch flashes on the black screen, and suddenly green text appears. Huh, must be motion sensors or something. Checking Polybius, ROM check, higher functions? Cognitive interface operation. Cognitive interface? The text was unlike anything Steve had seen in an arcade game before, but none of that matters right now. This was the moment he had been waiting for since David told them about it during the second block. He eagerly slides his hands into his front right pocket and feels the warm metal of a quarter on his fingertips. He grips one of the three he brought, pulls it out, and slides it into the player one slot. The screen flickers again. This time there was no small green text, only bright, bold letters dancing around the screen. Orange to white to black to turquoise. The sudden changes catch Steve off guard, causing him to squint and adjust his eyes. When things finally came back into focus, he read the all-cap text, Polybius. Just as his eyes settled on the lettering, the screen glitches again, and the green text reappears, strobing messages faster than before. Steve couldn't help but read them out loud. Diagnostic mode? Hit fire to exit? Save changes? Randomized levels? Enemy models, type 1. High score. Text effects on. Higher functionings, press fire. He instinctively grips the stick with his right hand and taps the button on the left. The screen goes black for a moment, then small yellow and white dots begin to appear. Moving towards Steve on the screen, they grow larger and larger. The dots begin to take shape. Hexagons, triangles, circles, stars each appearing more rapidly and gaining speed as they whiz by engulfing him into the screen itself. His eyes dart around trying to decipher what he's seeing, but he can't keep up. 
rectangles, polygons, squares. It's all moving so quickly as if you were jumping into hyperspace. Stars, squares, hexagons, millions of them. Pulling him in, but to where? And for what? Then in the distance, a larger circle begins to appear. As it moves closer, he can see the twisting pattern building inside of it, almost like one of Grandma's doilies. Each line of the pattern is flowing into the next. It grows bigger and bigger, approaching closer and closer as Steve descends from hyperspace. The pattern circle slams into position locked in the middle of the screen and starts to turn counterclockwise, releasing debris from the outer rim. Without hesitation, Steve begins rapidly tapping his left hand on the fire button. A tiny ship begins firing from its locked position halfway down the right-hand side of the screen. Where did that ship come from? Who cares? Keep firing! Without a second thought, Steve pours on the shots. The center pattern doubles in size despite more debris flying off of it. This is incredible! With each shot and turn, the screen bursts with colors. Red, blue, purple, orange. But Steve isn't phased. He keeps hitting the fire button with all the speed he can muster. A rogue enemy catches him off guard, hitting the tiny ship and causing it to burst. And with another flash, the green text types out on the screen, Game over. In an instant, the screen flashes the same bold letters as before. Polybius. But this time, Steve doesn't flinch. With another flash, the green text appears, and Steve taps the fire button to speed through the opening. Yeah, yeah, diagnostic mode. Hit fire to exit. I know, I know. Save changes. Okay, let's go. Press fire. Randomize levels. Yes, yes, yes. Enemy models. Type 1. High score. Got it, got it. Test effects on. Okay, okay. Higher functionings. Press fire. I got it. Let's go. Let's go. He passes through the screens quickly until the yellow and white dots disappear. Just as before, the dots begin to take shape. Hexagons, triangles, circles, stars, gaining speed as he jumps back into hyperspace. The circle pattern appears again, building towards the foreground. It stops on a dime and begins to rotate. Steve pushes himself up against the cabinet stand, leans into the screen, and starts firing. Hey, kid, hey, we're closing up. Huh? What? I said, last game. You gotta go home. Steve rubbed his eyes as he looked up at the owner of the arcade. They were burning like he hadn't closed them for days. He gazes around to realize the arcade is entirely empty. Dazed and confused, he thinks. Is it really closing time? I haven't been playing that long. He whips back around and sees most of the machines powered off for the night, and the usual blade of sunlight is no longer coming through the door from the main room. At that moment, it hits him. Shit! The movies! Ryan and Max are gonna flip. Mom's gonna flip. He rushes out of the back room, past the pinball machines, and through the outside door into the dim orange glow of the streetlights where he finds his bike waiting on the rack. Racing to get home, Steve prays that he isn't gonna get grounded. That's no way to start the summer. But despite the urgency to get home, to find a cover story for Mom, to explain what happened to his friends, there was still only one thing dominating his thoughts. Polybius. The frantic preteen swings a hard right into his family's tiny driveway and almost wipes out as the old tires struggle to grip the worn-down asphalt. All of the house lights are off. Maybe he can sneak in unnoticed. Steve slowly opens the side door and creeps through the kitchen like a stalking cat. He can still smell the remnants of the meatloaf mom made earlier. His gut rumbles, but he ignores it and makes his way to his room. Whew! Didn't get caught. He collapses on his bed. He's exhausted and starving, but neither of those things seem important right now. What happened in the arcade tonight? How did he lose track of time? Forget about his friends. How could he miss seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark? Polybius continues to dominate his mind. Laying in the pitch black of his room, he wants to sleep, but his thoughts won't let him. The hours roll by until he suddenly sees the eyes of Superman light up once again and notices the first signs of dawn coming through the curtains. It's time to get ready for school, but that no longer matters. Polybius is calling, and he must get back. Class? Seats, please. I'd like to get started right away on your final quiz. 
The students quickly shuffled to their royal blue chairs, sitting neatly at individual desks in four rows of five. As soon as they do, Ryan notices that Steve's chair is empty. Hey, Max, Max, where's Steve? Did you see him this morning? Nah, he wasn't on the bus. He's lucky, though, because I was planning to give him a piece of my mind for being MIA last night. I know, I know, but this is really strange. Steve's not a flaker, and missing this quiz is going to ruin his grade. Something's up. Ryan, quiet. The quiz has started. If I hear you again, your paper's going straight in the trash. Ryan reluctantly complies. She knows Steve better than anyone, and this isn't like him. He wouldn't have missed Raiders last night. He definitely wouldn't be missing school today and risk his whole summer. She thinks to herself, I have to check his house as soon as this quiz is over. She scrambles to fill in the ten multiple choice answers. A, C, E, D, B, whatever. Her buddy might be in danger. Finished, Ryan jumps out of her chair and drops the 8x10 sheet of white paper on Mr. Arnold's desk. She asks for the hall pass to use the restroom and heads out. The hall monitor is patrolling, so she heads down the B-wing corridor, through the cafeteria, and out the side doors. Once outside, she immediately heads to her Schwinn. Easy peasy. I'm not coming back until I find Steve. Pedaling faster than the flash, she speeds out of the school's parking lot through the neighboring park and across Whispering Willows, where Steve lives. Dropping her bike in the yard, there's no one around, and both of his parents' cars are gone. She heads to the side door and knocks, but receives no reply. He's not here. Maybe he's sick and they're at the doctor? Or did he skip school to beat us to the comic book store? They did just get in the second printing of Action Comics 500. Jumping back on her bike, she heads out across town to check all their usual spots. Starting with the comic shop and Evergreen Pizza. No luck. She even heads past Dr. Jones' office on Sycamore Drive, but didn't see either of his parents' Volkswagen. Could he have gone to Extra Life? Would he have actually gone by himself? Was he there all night? Ryan presses on towards the arcade, out of breath, her legs burning as they continue to cycle the pedals one over the other. She swings a left on the main street and then cuts through the back of the food mart knowing that extra life is just across the street. To her surprise, she finally spots Steve, but he's hiding behind the line of dark green cedars that run along the sidewalk. Steve, finally, what the hell are you doing here? Where were you last night? You missed Raiders, and you missed Arnold's quiz. Shh, quiet down. They'll hear you. Who's they? Who are you talking? Shh, shh. Something is... David was right. This game. Something happened to me last night. What? David? You mean that game? Yes. Polybius. It did something to me last night. I don't know. I skipped school to come back, but when I got here, those men were standing there. They haven't moved since. Just outside the front door of the boutique arcade stands two clean-shaven sentries with dark hair, jet black suits and long black ties. A bright white van with no company markings is parked on the street right in the emergency zone, typically reserved for the local cops and fire department. Who are they? I've never seen them in Portland before. Ryan, you don't understand. This game, I have to find a way back in. I have to play it again. I can't stop thinking about it. Just then, the well-dressed guards move around the building to the employee's side entrance. One opens the door while the other slides back the van's large cargo hold. Immediately, another agent rolls out an arcade cabinet on a hand truck. An all-black cabinet with a few turquoise stripes on the side. Polybius! What What are are they they doing? In an instant, the bulky machine disappears into the van along with the men in black, and the unmarked transport speeds away. Before we get started with the second half of our Polybius chapter, Chris and I would like to take a moment to say thank you for listening to this chapter and thank you to everyone that's been listening all season long. Once again, this chapter marks the end of season one for us. We hope that you've enjoyed our short fictional story. We thought it would be fun to mix it up, go outside the box for us, and do something special for the finale. We certainly had a good time making it. If you enjoyed our little experiment, please let us know on social media, at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Geek Catch Up Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. So let's talk about the real-life version of Polybius. The story you just heard is fictitious, but many of its core elements are based around an urban legend from the world of video games. Rumor has it that in the early 80s, an arcade game was seen in several locations throughout Portland that were causing patrons to have adverse and psychoactive effects when playing it. 
Varying reports have included that the game's highly addictive and strobe-like gameplay was causing players to suffer from migraines, hallucinations, insomnia, amnesia, and seizures. These reports have been paired with stories that during the period the game was in the arcades, men in black suits would regularly stop by and plug into the cabinets to collect data. This leading to the theory that the game itself was created by the government and used to experiment on the population, either brainwashing gamers or testing for advanced hand-eye coordination and mental ability in search for super soldiers. The theory is doubled down with the sudden disappearance of the arcade cabinets. Lasting only a handful of weeks in the local arcades, they all simply vanished one day. To this day, it is unknown if the game even existed in the first place. There are plenty of mock-up designs and videos with proposed game footage floating around the internet, and even former employees on threads claiming to have worked on the game, but there's still no hard evidence that Polybius was real. So, with all that, let's cut right to the chase. Chris, is Polybius real, or is it not real? There's so much to unpack there, Kyle. Uh, Definitely get into that here in a second. But before we do, just want to say real quick, huge shout out and thank you to Taylor, Sarah Beth, and Cameron, who all did a great job voicing some of the characters in the story that you just heard. They've been huge support systems for us and Geek Ketchup since the start of season one. And we're really excited that they were able to make their Geek Ketchup debuts in such a fun way. So just wanted to throw that out there. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. We we couldn't have done any of this, not just Polybius, but any of Geek Ketchup without you. Absolutely. But as far as Polybius goes, it, it's such an interesting thing. And I am not somebody that really buys in, per se, or like believes a ton of conspiracy theories. But I absolutely love conspiracy theories and just <laughs> learning about them, seeing why some people think they're real, you know, why other people think they don't, and kind of considering it right sure i do think that with how many that are out there that there's probably some that actually are real yeah you know while others are completely bogus but for polybius it's it's really hard to say specifically whether or not it was real just because there is so little information but if i'm being purely honest i don't find it that hard to buy into the idea of you know, the government using video games in these ways. I put it that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that that's kind of how I felt about it as well, where do I think that there's this crazy, bizarre, mysterious game out there that made gamers in the 80s in Portland, like, totally hallucinate and get addicted? Maybe not, but I do think there's some shred of truth to each, like, part of this crazy story. And then We're really going to dive into the bits and pieces of the story here, different theories and some of the things that we hinted at as as far as what was happening to the gamers and then other connections that we've seen Polybius pop up to through as we as we talk about it. So I think, is it a full blown government testing? Maybe not. But was there a game that did this to kids? Probably. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's not really anything new. As far as video games having the potential to have adverse side effects on you. And I know I may get into that a little bit later when we're talking about some of the other aspects of this. But if we just take a step back and look at specifically what other people have essentially said that they have proven around this theory. And by that, I mean, you know, I did some research based on the research that other people did. You know, primarily it was Skeptoid podcasts, some YouTube breakdowns, Wikipedia, other articles. You know, there is a good bit of information out there. Oh, yeah. But it seemed like the closest thing that anybody could really put together was that there were aspects of the myth that were relatively true and kind of feed into it right so for example the idea of people getting sick well there were reports in the news at, in that time in portland of a couple of teenagers actually getting sick from a video game right it wasn't confirmed that it was polybius or anything like that and as i said you know video games are known to give you know potential epilepsy seizures the whole nine yards we see warnings on them yeah. every day I was going to say, all of them come in with that warning now, like, this one's going to flash. If you have a history, be warned. Exactly. They had situations where there were essentially government agents that raided arcades uh, at the time that, you know, I think kind of maybe fed into the government coming in to take the data and all of that, you know? Yeah, the men in black. Right. So there was a few things like that. I don't know if you had seen any of those in your research, but... 
there was a few of those little details that kind of feed into it, but I still don't know if any of it truly added up to being Polybius. Right. No, and I, I absolutely, I saw all of that, you know, the the mysterious FBI raids in the Portland area, which then in turn like found out because they were gambling rings and they were there for other reasons. Right. And the men in black, same situation. While people claim to have seen men in black in these arcades at this time, if there are FBI agents there for a gambling ring, then that's why they're there. And it, but it fits nicely with this theory that it's this video game. And like you said, like adverse effects in video games is nothing new. Uh, we we saw it in in a game that is very closely related to Polybius Tempest, yep. which also came out in 1981, was well known for doing that to gamers at the time. Like it, it's flashing and the the movement nature of how that Atari game worked, like it, it lends itself to giving adverse reactions. One thing that it makes me struggle to believe any of this is there is a significant time gap between. When the game was in the arcades in 1981, and then when we really started hearing about it again. That's a good point, because it was what, like late 90s or early 2000s? It was the late 90s, both, essentially. All this was supposed to have taken place in like 1981, but then it didn't wasn't openly talked about until 1998 on an internet forum for, the, for CoinOp, for the CoinOp Museum basically as a museum that showcases old arcade games. Right. So there was an online forum where that is the first time that the word Polybius had been mentioned that it, it was doing this in the 80s. And then after that, it doesn't get mentioned again until until 2006 yeah. on a different internet forum. So it's like 1998, early days of, not early days of the internet, but the internet is still very primitive and not what we have now. And internet forums are a little different. So it makes everything a little skeptical. Yep. But then there's also like this crazy 17-year time gap and no pictures from Evit, no real pictures yeah. during that time, like Polaroids or things like that. And so that's where it's like, I struggle to believe that this was real. Right. I know I did see in, in some of the, the articles I was reading that there was a game called Polyplay that did exist and there are pictures of. And what's interesting about it was that that game was apparently abruptly pulled from arcades and and never went back. But there is no record anywhere at that time for a game called Polybius. And one of the real things, if you think back, that's always been good about video game culture was that it also had a large like magazine culture. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of catalogs and gamer magazines and, you know, technology trends and things like that. And so, you know, you can go find a wealth of documentation and pictures of what was out there at that time. And from what I gathered was that not, none of it references Polybius. Right. But that Polyplay was maybe the closest as far as a name goes and kind of what happened with that. Right. And I found something very similar that up until the late 2000s, there was no game that had copyrighted. Like, Polybius was not copyrighted by anybody. So how could this game have existed with no copyrights names to it? Right, because pretty much all video games are business. Somebody is making them to sell them and make money on them. So, you know, they are very highly trademarked and copyrighted, especially now. So it's a good point there. Kind of the flip side, though, I will say that I think is interesting is that, you know, it is known at that time that the the government was already using games for training of different kinds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's nothing new. We know that the government has had no problem over the years doing testing, whether known or unknown, on civilian populations. And I know that's a little something we don't typically get into here on (laughs) Geek Ketchup, but if we're being honest, all through the 1950s through the 1970s, you know, it is known fact that the MK Ultra program existed. It originated and mostly took place not far from where you and I grew up. Yeah. And, you know, they were doing drug trials with LSD and, you know, all sorts of psychological research and how different techniques and, and approaches would impact the human mind because they were 
looking at ways to either increase our military's capabilities or impact the Russians. Yeah. They wanted to use different psychological warfare against the Russians and the communists. So that side of things is kind of where I come in and say, even though there's none of this other information, like we know that the government does things like this, Yeah, you know, so it, it makes it tough. To go down that. So like while we're sitting here and, and it's tough to believe any urban myth and urban legend, I think it's fun to dive into this mm-hmm. and, and really think about, OK, this is a government project. Uh, we know that the government is has known to do Stranger Things type oh, yeah. deal where they're experimenting, like using LSD. And, uh, you know, we've seen an array of movies and television shows and other things dive into this idea like. We knew we were going to talk about it. The Last Starfighter. Yep. That movie where it's all based around basically tapping into teenagers who have incredible hand-eye coordination that are really good at arcade games to become soldiers. Right. So as like my own theory on this, right? Like if we just said for discussion's sake that it's all true, right? Right. Like if we were just to sit here and say, okay, everything that the Polybius urban legend has is 100% true. The government made this game. He put it out and they were collecting data and stuff on gamers at that time. Let's think about what we know. The government, A, always looks at what the civilians are doing and then reacts to it, whether it's studying it, whether it's finding ways to use it for their own benefit, whatever it may be. That happens. Right. If we look at gaming and gamers, video games require extremely good hand-eye coordination Most of them require a lot of mental bandwidth to process and react to hundreds and possibly thousands of inputs in short periods of time. Many require higher levels of quick problem solving and critical thinking. Many require fast reaction times. Many force the user to constantly adapt to change and continue making the right decision to proceed. So why wouldn't the government want to fucking pull people in on that? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, be honest, right? Like, if you're looking for the best of the best, the smartest, the brightest, I'm not saying every gamer is this, but the top tier of people have to have some of those things in common from a mental and physical standpoint to be able to be successful. And if they want super soldiers or super secret agents (laughs) or whatever, you know? Yeah, this is the right area to pull from. Yeah. Yeah, if you can see right away with all these games, they're giving these kids, these gamers, these abilities at a high level. Why would you why wouldn't you go from here compared to I'm just going to pull from somebody that studies books and not that there's anything wrong with that. But this is proven to have excellent hand eye coordination and like mental capabilities in stressful environments. Yep, that's what you want. That's what you want in a soldier. Yeah, like you just you don't just want just basic smarts. You want the complete package. So it could be a training ground. And so we talked about the last Starfighter, like Ready Player One and Armada. Same themes there where they're utilizing video game technology to develop soldiers and to reference Armada, specifically the Ernest Klein book. That's what that whole book is about, that the government knew that aliens existed and were preparing for war and secretly rolled out like a Call of Duty style game. And then when eventually the entire planet had to go to war with the aliens. Yeah. A very similar setup. Yeah, the game in Armada was essentially people flying TIE fighters. Yeah. You know, it was like space starship battle where you were at the helm of a... I'll just use a TIE fighter, for example. I think it's the easiest way to illustrate it. But you're at the helm of a TIE fighter out there in the galaxy fighting back this alien force that's trying to invade Earth. And then one day, the alien force actually invades Earth. And when that happens, the cat's out of the bag. And the government releases to the people that this video game has been training them all along because they've been building a drone army on the backside of the moon. (laughs) And then they can take those gamers that are the top tier and just put them into a a simulator or give them a controller. And they're just then piloting drones to go fight aliens. And really, you know, if you stop and think about it, of course, that sounds absurd. But like, really, would it be that hard to think that at least in some alternate timeline that that's what's happening with Call of Duty? Because literally, you know, every year we're getting a war simulator. It's teaching you different techniques. The government already has used Call of Duty to train military soldiers (laughs) today. We know that. That's a fact. Yeah. So it's already happening. So like, really, is it that hard to think that maybe at least on one timeline? Yeah, that that's going down. Could be true. 
I don't think so, you know? And obviously it's a little bit far from Polybius, but just tying it back, pieces are there that it, it could have been real, yeah. you know? And that's what's fun about theories, right? We never know. But I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would be that surprised if it came down and was like, yeah, it was all true. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. When you look at the Call of Duty stuff and you're like, that's absurd. And then two words flight simulator oh yeah what is a flight simulator and we and those have been around for ages Mm -hmm. like that that's really all it is it's just a combat simulator so so why not just to go back to our model real quick it makes me think of diva and her backstory from overwatch Uh. that is exactly what she is she's a (laughs) she was a top tier gamer for and like and then she just transitioned that to working in a mech suit to fight off aliens but back to polybius it wouldn't be impossible to use gameplay and let's just talk about the suspected gameplay real quick here the different way it looked and the different action there there's a few different theories going around about what the suspected gameplay was and whether it was an action puzzler with like rotating shapes and things like that and levels progressing and getting faster and flashing and then also a space shooter puzzler either way you look at it it ties back into this theory that the government is training soldiers because they're utilizing action concepts and mental puzzles yeah. at the exact same time. And so how can you fire, command, shift yourself, move, while also subconsciously figuring out this puzzle to get to it? Yeah. Well, most of what I've seen kind of render, you know, even the people that actually built what they thought it might have been. Kind of the other component, too, is that it had that psychological aspect, right? Like people reported being dizzy, nauseous. People reported feeling like addicted to it, like they could not stop playing the game. They were constantly thinking about it. And if you think about any example in TV or documentaries that you see where they start going into that kind of like mental control, right? What do you see? You see high-paced, Fast flashing, strobing, high energy, different sounds, craziness, boom, 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 boom. And then the end result is either like somebody that's mind controlled and is now like been turned, right? Like a double agent. Or they are now this like killing machine that, you know, feels no pain and can go into battle. Like, so, I mean, if that was the case based on some of the renderings, I could see it because regardless, some of those elements are in natural video games and especially games of that time. Well, there's a limitation on graphics in the 80s. Right. And so a lot of these mock-ups and these theories have been like vector graphics have a look to them. So think Tempest or Asteroid and, and games of that nature where it's a lot of lines and negative space on the back. But yeah, like you said, the strobing and the flashing that takes place in these games, like a lot of stimulation. Yes, that's the word for it. And then add in, just think about that. But then like, you know, today... We have arcades, but it's kind of like more of a retro weird thing you do. Maybe you go to Dave & Buster's. Maybe you have a town that has an actual coin-operated arcade. Most people now have barcades where they're drinking booze and playing retro games, you know. But like the way we game in 2020 and really for the last number of years has been more at home, controlled environment, lights on, yeah, relaxing even if you're playing something intense. But if you think about back in the 80s when when you had to go to an arcade for video games and arcades were really kind of a big business in their own way at that time, you know, they would be these fairly decent sized buildings. There would be 40, 50, 100 different machines. They might be dimly lit so that way you can focus on the games, but there's flashes going on everywhere. There's bells and dings and chirps and whistles going on. There's people talking. Like there's just, just an arcade in general is a very stimulating place. Yeah. Whether you're playing or not. Yeah. So add all that up. You could very easily be hypnotized. Exactly, right? (laughs) Yeah, it wouldn't take much. Like, just throw a subtle song up on the track, and it's going to mix into all of the dings and whistles of a pinball machine or an air hockey table or any number of arcade cabinets. Yep. They all have that. And so you you put little things. We've seen year after year how people get hypnotized and what they do, and all of this adds up to being the perfect storm in the right place. Well, and think, too, like... Back then, the technology and even gaming in general was still so new, just like anything else, right? Whether it's cigarettes or alcohol, whatever, like it takes a number of years for the public to have it, to get data on what it does to you, whether it's good, it's bad, whatever it may be, right? So if you're thinking about the late 70s, early 80s, there were still a lot of people that didn't even know what video games were, let alone understand where it was going to be. And going back to what we said about how, you know, every modern game, literally like one of the first five screens you see is always a medical warning 
about epilepsy, strokes, whatever it may be, right? Yeah. And so if you think back back then, if a game developer made a game and didn't really understand or care about what those things could actually do to somebody physically and mentally, they really could put out something that could have impacted people. So, you know, maybe instead of the government, maybe Polybius was this like small company that thought they were doing something good, realized they were like wrecking people and they just right. kind of like clawed it back. They're like, nope, yeah, like, this one oh didn't no. work. Yeah, yeah. When you think of like lawsuits and like that, maybe maybe it's not as prevalent in the 80s as it was in the 90s and 2000s where like this game did this to me. These French fries made me fat. I'm going to sue you. <laughs> but that's very possible that they put out this game and within four weeks they had multiple cases of kids and gamers having seizures right so panic button let's let's pull it back and then that kind of explains the sudden disappearance of these machines because that's a very unique part of this as well is that they were there they were there for four weeks highly addictive and then in an instant just boom gone yeah, and then that kind of brings us to the men in black aspect of it. And I know we touched on it a little bit earlier, but you know, that's kind of the government side of things. That's why people think that there was nefarious research or, you know, whatever going on here was because there were these reports of essentially men in black suits. I kind of think of like your standard company man, you know, black yeah. tie, white shirt. And they were coming in and they were either working on the back of the machines, which people theorize that they were taking data out of them. Yeah. Because um, they were never collecting money, apparently. It was always just them fiddling with the machines and then leaving with seemingly nothing. Or they were there and they took the game. So it's kind of an interesting part of the whole story. But what do you think about the men in black? Originally, like I kept seeing reports that the men in black were showing up and taking data and, and doing this and that and watching gamers and how they responded. And then very late in my research, I found someone that had proposed that the men in black were adjusting the configuration to the game. Oh. And that that's why they were plugging in, which I love that theory that they weren't just coming in and they were coming in collecting data, but also they were patching it, patching it and <laughs> tweaking the game ever so slightly to change the effects to uh, see how adaptable the gamer is to the new setup. That would be interesting. That theory I like love. I'm like, yes, like if I'm going to go full government conspiracy <laughs> and they're doing this to us, like they need to be testing, taking data, making adjustments. So it's like I'm really becoming the perfect super soldier. I mean, I, I kind of had two thoughts here. Like, my first one was like, you know, maybe this is just a really classy company. And and maybe they just, you know, made their servicemen wear really nice suits. And they wanted to have a good impression. <laughs> but really, the other thought I had was, could they just have been a group of younger Portland businessmen who wore suits regularly, but liked to come into the arcade to blow off some steam afterwards, you know? Yeah, it's true. And that's an odd picture, right? Like, you're not usually going to see a guy in a suit hanging out in an arcade. But maybe that was just the case. Maybe there was an office building right across the street. Who knows? I don't know. That was just some of the other thoughts that came through my mind as far as like, well, maybe there's a more rational explanation for it. Well, and that ties back into the FBI doing gambling raids in that area <laughs> at that time in those. And it's it's no secret that drug use was high in the 80s and uh, gambling was high and arcades were a hub for that sort of activity. Um, I, I want to touch on it because before we move on to anything else, that there were two reports. We talked about the internet forums. There were two reports, one by a username called Cybernogi Ooh. and another one by a gentleman named of Stephen Roach. And that was the, the so Cybernogi is kind of the 1998 reference. And then Stephen Roach is the 2006 reference on the internet where they claim to have worked on Polybius. Oh, I don't think I caught that. Yeah. And so essentially Cybernogi uh, it was a German programmer, and he is also is linked to the founder of the the Lugilu, or L Logi <laughs> which is the world's first cyber religion. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that which that was a rabbit hole in itself. So I I did not <laughs> dive into that. Coming up on season two of Geek Ketchup. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, Polybius Part Two, like really diving into the cyber religion. And <laughs> it's maybe it's just the opposite to Scientology. I don't know. <laughs> But the tough thing about his stuff is all his posts took place on April Fool's. Ooh. So it's like, okay, was this real? Was this not real? It was also very primitive. But Stephen Roach came out and posted on several message boards in the early 2000s. 
And unfortunately, it was the same message every time. So it was clearly copied and pasted Mm. that he worked for a company that was contracted by a South American company to make a game built to hypnotize American children. Oh, wow. And and things like that. So I thought those were very interesting, like little pieces to this story. Like maybe it was a small developer, maybe... You know, in the heart of the Cold War, it was, you know, a shell company through a shell company. That's possible. And they, they, they wanted to do this. I know my buddy, my one buddy, Mike, likes to joke. Uh, not not the buddy that was on the show, but my other buddy, Mike, likes to joke that Tetris was invented by the Russians to brainwash American children. <laughs> so it could it have been a situation like that. And then those men in black were there watching, you know, on behalf of that company. That's possible. I mean, anything is possible, that's for sure. Like, I I don't like to write off theories just immediately because some of them have some decent startups and, you know, sometimes they're fun. You start to learn some stuff as you go through them. But with this one having so little truly backing it, that's really where it gets a little tougher. But that would be possible, too. I mean, there was a lot of crazy stuff going on between the American government, the Russian government, some of the other countries around the world psychological warfare was really becoming a thing in that time frame the 50s and 70s like i said mk ultra if you haven't heard of that or seen any of the documentaries that's worth a a rabbit hole day just to go and learn about how you know they pretty much invented lsd and then were giving it to people unknowingly just to see what happened to them and all of that i don't know if i would believe though that anybody actually worked on this like I think he did some good digging there by finding the April Fool's connection and yeah. and some of the other things for how those comments were made. Um, probably makes it a little bit more skeptical for me. But there is a part of me also, too, that would be like, man, it would be great if somebody could really prove that this actually did happen. Yeah. Like, that would be a good you know, video game industry bombshell. <laughs> it, it really would be. Because there's, there's so much going on here, like I said. Not just, like, the Men in Black and the addictive gameplay. The name in itself is is a bit of a mystery with it with its ties to the Greek historian, both in the Greek historian who was well-known for using the Polybius Square, uh, which, if you're not familiar with the Polybius Square, it's it's a part of, like, cryptograph-type things, and where you, you line up letters in the alphabet in a 5 by 5 cube for messaging and things like that. But then that same Greek historian, Polybius, is also well-known for his assertion that historians should never report what they cannot verify. Ooh. And so suddenly we have this urban myth. Yeah, that can't be verified. That can't be verified. So maybe we shouldn't even be talking about it, Kyle. Oh, or maybe the government's knocking at my door now. <laughs> We've uncovered it. Yeah, yikes. But, <laughs> but it's all very interesting, and, and the entire myth uh, it's just been super cool, and it's it's been around. You know, search Polybius on the internet. You're going to get a thousand results and a thousand mock-ups. It's all very cool, and it's been highlighted in several shows, and like television shows, movies, comic books, things like that. One one thing I found that is my absolute favorite can't not mention it in Detective Comics or not? Excuse me, not Detective Comics in Batman Incorporated number one from the New Fifty Two. There's actually a scene where they go into a bar, and in the very back of the panel, you can see a Polybius machine being played. That's awesome. Yeah, it's super cool. But it, it showed up in The Simpsons and a few other areas. So, so it, there's a lot of depth to this myth. Yeah, I agree. And when I started to learn and see some of the references from different media, I was really kind of surprised to myself i was like man i never picked up on this or never had any real conversations with anybody about this and it was only like six months ago or so when my tattoo artist alex was telling me about it while she was grinding on my arm yeah and i'm like what the hell are you talking about and of course and i went home and i started googling polybius and got down this rabbit hole of like this is an interesting theory myth whatever you want to call it yeah that's out there in in the world of video games so we started looking into it and thought it'd be a perfect opportunity to have some fun i imagine there's a whole lot more out there about this honestly i if there's anybody out here that listens to us that was in portland in the 80s yeah and might have more information that's really one of the things i'd be most interested in having a conversation about is like can anybody who frequented the arcade scene in portland in 1981 speak to any of it yeah and what your thoughts are you know do they believe it give us that hard fact we have have a few friends out in portland but unfortunately none of them were around in 1981 no if you're there and you do know somebody please reach out because yeah it's super cool and i know yeah chris brought it up and we thought oh this would be a lot of fun to dive into here and 
maybe mark it as a season finale for our, our season one content. And then it started to take more shape with the fictional story, which was a ton of fun to do. Um, and it all culminated into this just really mysterious game that somehow after th- of being a gamer for 30 years, knowing many other gamers, no one I know knows about this. Right. Yeah. Never had a conversation with the people I play games with about it. It never has come up in random conversation at a party when we're talking games or whatever it may be. Nothing. Yep. And I, I had a few cases where I knowing we were getting ready for this. I asked my friends, have you ever heard of this game? And they were all like, no, what is this? And then as soon as they heard the idea of the highly addictive gameplay, like all of the, the aspects of the amnesia, the insomnia, the hallucinations, the men in black, they were like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, this sounds incredible. Right. Some final thoughts here. I do have one that unfortunately, what I think actually went down and what I think Polybius is, I think it's a beta for the game Tempest. <laughs> <laughs> that got out for a little while and then was pulled? Yep. That's your official theory? That's my official theory on what really went down. And I wanted to make sure I, I got that in at some point. I said, this is my official theory. This is what happened. That's a good one. That, that might be even more plausible than anything else we talked about. Was It was just like one of the original betas. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, that's the way it goes. That's funny. Well, Polybius gave Kyle and I a chance to step into the weird and have some fun for this season's end. We truly hope you enjoyed the story and learned something new about the darker side of gaming. If you know of any other great conspiracies from the world of geekery, be sure to let us know about them on social media. We'll be taking a much-needed vacation during the month of July, but have a couple of bonus episodes coming your way during that time. Be sure to keep an eye out on all of our social accounts for details on our Season 2 kickoff coming in August. Thank you for listening to Geek Catch-Up. If you enjoyed today's chapter, please remember to subscribe to Geek Catch-Up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check out Geek Catch-Up on Facebook and YouTube, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Catch-Up Pod for updates on new episodes every two weeks. You can find links to all these accounts in the show notes below or at our website, www.geekcatchuppodcast.com. Stay saucy, you nerds.